Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Guapish Rule 34. Today, I have assembled an elite group of professional card game players so that they can partake in an exciting challenge for you today. First up, I have two-time Hearthstone champion, Tanner. That's right, I love Hearthstone because, um, uh, um... Fair enough. <laughs> Second, I'm also being joined by world champion of Magic the Gathering, Dylan. Hey, yo, I love that game. What do you guys want to know about Magic? I'll tell you everything. I'll literally tell you everything. Somebody please play with me. Uh, I, I'd really like if you could just tell me why people even fucking like it in the first place. And, of course, we're also being joined by some guy who plays that fucking uh, Genshin Impact card game, J uh, fucking Jackson. Oh, I love playing Genius Invocation from Genshin Impact. Let's not forget the fact that I beat Tanner in a 1v1 in Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duels, though. Get fucked, loser. <laughs> I did forget that, actually. <laughs> Speaking nice. of Yu-Gi-Oh! boys... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Since you boys all uh, are, like, you know, pretty big card game heads, and you all have, like, you know, some minor interest in Yu-Gi-Oh! in the past, I wanted to have you guys partake in a little bit of a challenge today, boys. This is something that a lot of the big Yu-Gi-Tubers are doing right now, and I figured, why not get a little slice of that pie here real quick? So... What I'm going to be doing, boys, I have some cards here for you that I want you to just, like, take a little gander at. And we are going to be determining whether or not you believe that these cards are actually competitively viable or not. Oh, God. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I've seen these, uh, YouTube videos. I haven't. Right? That's going to be rough. They do big. Since Tanner's seen them before, he's going to have a bit of a uh, advantage against you guys, potentially. But we'll see. So with that said, boys, it's time to kick <laughs> off with our very first card. It's a very simple one. It is the legendary Pot of Greed. Oh. oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. now Pot of Greed is a spell card. It reads, draw two cards. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, if you guys need any explanations for, like, you know, mechanics or anything like that, just feel free to ask at any point. Yeah. So, do, is there any confusion here about the Pot of Greed? No. No, it's competitively viable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would also say it's competitively viable. I, I also believe it was banned from competitions at one point. Mm. Uh... My assumption is it's not competitively viable because there's, I'd assume, many different ways of drawing cards and probably having other benefits in addition to that. That So, like, this card doing this one thing just isn't very good. Gotcha. All right. Pretty solid answers all around, boys. However, unfortunately for you, Tanner, uh, Pot of Greed is, in fact, a very, very good card. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Despite yeah. its simple, simple effect, uh, it's pretty busted. It's been on the ban list for many years. Yeah. <laughs> and it is very unlikely it'll be, ever be coming off. Why? So, yeah, Pot of Greed's whole thing. You're just drawing two cards. Draw power in Yu-Gi-Oh! matters a lot. <laughs> mm. There are definitely ways you can like draw cards uh, in many different forms. However, those all typically come with downsides to them, or have a lot of conditions to like actually be able to activate the effect. Uh, one of them being the like uh, you have to have like fucking five cards in your graveyard and you like put them back in your deck and then you draw two cards. Uh, there's ones like banish ten cards from your deck and then you can draw two <laughs> cards. Shit like that. God. Yeah, it's uh. So just being able to draw two cards for free is pretty nuts. Now. You know, th there has been a little bit of talk recently about, like, oh, uh, uh, Pot of Greed might not be that good nowadays, you know? Like, uh, the game is just so fast-paced. Uh, you kind of need, like, other cards instead of uh, just being able to draw a little bit of something. But I think those people are pretty high on copium. Pot of Greed is still great. It, 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 it's pretty undisputed, I feel. Yeah, uh, what's the, what's the strat? Because I know people can just, like, draw and get Exodia on, like, turn one or two, right? That, that's, a, that's a thing they can do. 
I mean, yeah, there are a lot of different cards that will let you to draw and shit like that, as we've discussed. Uh, yeah. The Exodia strategy is not typically uh, one that really sees much play at all, though, because it's just wildly inconsistent. Yeah, I've definitely seen the play, and it's nuts, but Pot of Greed was definitely a huge contributor to that play. Uh... Not really. Uh, I'll, try, I'll try to find the video clip. Uh, Pottergrid wasn't really, you know, available uh, once, like, people really started getting a lot of strats for Exodia. Yeah. Now, for our second card, though, boys, for a second one, though, this is going to be a little more tricky for you. It's not quite as simple, but still pretty simple. We are looking at Nobleman Eater Bug. This is a level 5 insect flip monster. It's flip effect. Destroy two monsters on the field. Has 900 attack and 1,200 defense. What do you think yeah. about this card, boys? What the hell is a flip effect? <laughs> yeah, so how it works is for flip effect monsters, they need to be set face down. And then uh, once, like, uh, on your following turn, you can flip them face up. Or if an opponent, if your opponent's uh, monster, like, attacks it, it'll be, get fl- flipped face up. And once that happens, then it activates its effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would definitely what say is- this is a viable competition what does the stars at the top mean so that's again? its level there's a level five monster meaning yeah. that uh in order to summon it to the field you first need to tribute another monster in order to summon it right mm-hmm. hmm this is a tough one could you like it just i assume you pick two enemy monsters specifically yeah exactly you can pick mm-hmm. the two you want to destroy yeah I assume it has to be good, even though it itself is kind of weak and you have to commit another one. So, like, it's almost... No, you come up you come up at least with one on on the field and they have two gone and you only have one gone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to assume it's good. This seems like it'd be good at late game, but I feel like this is a red herring that's meant to deceive us into thinking it's good. I'm going to say it's not It does not feel good. like a red herring. <laughs> It's too. It's too simple. I don't. I don't think it'd work. <laughs> I think it's too easy to counter. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So Jackson's saying it's not a good card. Uh, Tanner, are you? Well, what are you going? Yeah, I'm with saying here? it's a good card. It's good. Okay. Don't have a you. Yeah, I definitely think this is viable in competition. Okay, gotcha. So Jackson's the only one who's correct here this time God around. God damn it! No way. <laughs> yeah. So this card is really bad, actually. Oh. <laughs> like this is a dog shit card. <laughs> Why is that? So. Basically, what you're doing here is you have to tribute a monster in order to summon this thing. It's going to be tributed face down. Their flip effect monsters just in general are way too slow because, you know, you, you have to fucking wait, like, until your next turn to actually activate them. Uh, otherwise, you're just kind of waiting for your opponent to run into them. There are almost no <laughs> tribute flip effect monsters, so it's going to be very obvious, basically. They're uh-huh. setting some sort of a trap for them here. And there are a lot of ways to get around the flip effect like if you just destroy the card without attacking into it then it doesn't activate its effect so <laughs> gotcha i didn't think of there it that are a way. lot of ways to do that as well so it it really is just basically never going to activate its effect uh, gotcha i forgot and also considering it only has 1200 defense it's very likely that's just going to be destroyed as well so you actually won't have any board presence if you're committing that hard into this card wait right. but i thought even if the card was destroyed it still flipped yeah it'll still flip so it'll still be able to activate its effect however okay. it doesn't like stop the battle from happening so it'll get destroyed and then it'll eff- activate its effect basically yeah that's i figured that's all it was good for yeah that makes but sense alas, okay. that's a. Uh, <laughs> Uh, like I said, it's generally not even going to activate that effect anyway, so it's not it's not yeah. super great. Gotcha. Womp, womp. 
Makes sense. I, and I yeah. thought about it too. I was like, maybe the tribute one to destroy two isn't great, but I was like, yeah, you could kill some pretty big monsters with that card, but then ones you'd want to destroy usually have a can't be destroyed by monster effects on them, so maybe not great. Speaking of which, Dylan, we're moving on to our next card here. <laughs> this is going to be a little more tricky for you boys, so I really use that brain power of yours. We are looking at Flying Elephant. Oh god, so much reading. Don't you worry, I got you, man. Flying Elephant, this is a level 4 wind effect monster, okay boys? It's a beast. So, it reads, once per opponent's turn, if this card would be destroyed by their card effect, it is not destroyed. Once per turn, during their end phase, if that effect was applied this turn, apply the following effect. During your next turn, if this card inflicts battle damage to your opponent by direct attack, you win the duel. Okay. My, my brain really has to process this information. <laughs> Do you need any second. clarification there? So, if on the opponent's turn, they try to kill this card, it doesn't die, and then on your next turn, if you manage to have it deal any damage to them, or deal damage to them directly, you just win. That is correct, Tanner, yeah. Okay, so, okay. So Specifically, it kind of... it's, it's uh, being destroyed by their card effect. So, if a card just, like, attacks oh. into it, uh, then it won't activate this effect. Okay. Yeah. Um, it does have an 1850 body on it, though, so that's pretty solid for four-star monsters. Yeah. And four-star means it can just be summoned, right? That's yeah. right. You can just summon this bad boy. You don't need to tribute it at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, given, regardless of, because I, I think people will immediately lash at, oh, if you, you, you will win if you do direct attack damage. Uh, I don't think, I think that'll... I'm gonna say no, cause there's hardly any instances where, like, if people see this card, they're probably not gonna destroy it with a card effect. They're probably just gonna destroy it via battle damage, and they're always gonna make sure that they can't be attacked directly by like having monsters on the field. Uh, and this also doesn't—I don't even think piercing damage would matter. I, I feel like there's too many workarounds for this card. I'm gonna say no. Yeah, I feel like it's really easy to counter this one. Is my funnily in, enough, initial reaction. F- funnily enough, I feel like this one and the previous one would make sense going together, because then you're uh, making your opponent have to coin flip on whether their best option on dealing with face-down cards is directly attacking them or uh, using card effects to destroy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um, that's an interesting combo I haven't really thought of. Of course, they have to know beforehand that you have both those cards in to make that coin flip a thing. Yeah. But, um, it also is only on their turn, which is also kind of bad. In my limited experience with Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, I feel like using card effects to destroy monsters was a pretty common occurrence. So I'm going to say that this is viable. Okay. You're right, Tanner. It is like very common for cards to have effects like are able to destroy other monsters, uh, much like we saw in the previous one. However, this card is really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is atrocious. <laughs> so, basically, to start with, um, yeah, like Dylan said, this can only activate during your opponent's turn. So, you're basically relying on your opponent to do this. And also, <laughs> your opponent can read your card. They know that they shouldn't be trying to destroy this thing with card effects at all. Right. <laughs> so, it, it's very unlikely they're even going to do that. They're most likely just going to walk in by battle. Or... The protection only works, like, once per turn. So if they have another right. effect to destroy it, then it'll just get, end up getting destroyed. 
Yeah. Mm. Then we also have the issue of, so, like, you know, first of all, it, you've been fucking surviving your opponent's turn. Uh, then we have the issue of it trying to, like, actually attack your opponent. So they're probably going to have a bunch of monsters on board. So you're going to have to clear their field in order for this thing to attack directly, unless you have, like, some other card that'll allow it to. So you can definitely win with this thing, but you have to jump through so many hoops that it just makes significantly more sense to go for a much more viable strategy. You have yeah. to jump through hoops, you say. You yeah. sure do, man. <laughs> plus, uh, plus your opponent could just use the card effect on your turn to destroy this, and then its effect doesn't work. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, not great, <laughs> needless <Yeah>. to say. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving right along here, boys. Next up, we have Mass Driver. There's another fairly simple one. This is a continuous spell card. It reads, tribute one monster on your side of the field to inflict 400 points of damage to your opponent's life points. All right, I'm going to go mm. ahead and assume this one's also bad. I feel like like doing chip damage isn't really that meaningful from what mm. I've heard from you and Yu-Gi-Oh! And also just like just tossing fucking your own card to the me grinder for only 400 points doesn't really seem that significant. Maybe it could like stack up a lot in in late game, but my initial reaction is that this is not very good. So, just for reference here real quick, you start with 8,000 life points, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, what's that, 20 turns? I, I guess the question for me is, would tributing this with this card, like, are, are there effects on other cards where it's like, if a monster was tributed this turn, you know, you can do XYZ, and it's able to play off of other cards like that? Yeah, it certainly can. Okay. So I, I, I guess what I have to guess at is whether those kinds of strategies are competitively viable and therefore mm. make this one competitively viable, which I imagine I'll just make a wild guess and say they are. So yes, this one is viable because it works with strategies that you know have effects that are activated by things being tributed. Solid enough, man. Solid enough. Dylan, how about you? How are you feeling? Yeah, my thought process... Is kind of like Tanner's, where you could just have a tribute deck where you have either monsters that say if this monster is tributed, activate this effect, or <clears throat> another monster or spell or trap card or whatever that says if a monster was tributed this turn, do this. Uh, quick question, I need a refresher. Do tokens uh-huh. stack on the same monster space, or do they take up their own individual monster space? No, they take up their own space. Okay, so maybe that's not super viable, because I know there are definitely... Uh, This might be a newer thing. There are definitely token decks in Yu-Gi-Oh! So you could literally just put a token on the field every turn and then distribute it and do 400 damage for free, basically, uh, from these tokens. I think Karibo kind of works this way. I don't remember, because whatever. There's like a card that multiplies Karibo or whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, But for those reasons, I believe this card would be competitively viable. All right, uh, Dylan and Tanner are on the right track here. Yeah, this card is, in fact, a banned card, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) So, there's one very notable thing about this card uh, in that you can just do this as many times as you want each turn. It does not have a once-per-turn effect or anything like that on it. So, something that's very important for you guys to understand about Yu-Gi-Oh! is that uh, this card is actually... uh, really infamous for having a bunch of FTKs associated with it, and that you can just kill your opponent on the very first turn before they're allowed to do anything with this card. <laughs> because there are absolutely many strategies that you can utilize. They'll basically just light a, you know, summon an infinite amount of monsters. Yeah. 
And, you know, as a result, uh, the fact that it only does, like, 400 points of damage doesn't really matter if you're just able to, like, keep summoning them. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, a little degenerate, hence why it is uh, no longer allowed. Bro, that's, like, 20 monsters, too, to kill somebody, I believe. It sure is, man. It sure God, is. God, that's so bad. <laughs> All right, moving right along here. Next up, boys, we have our very first trap card, Ooh, Magic okay. Cylinder. Oh, I love this card. Yeah, Magic hmm. Cylinder. This is a pretty well-known one. So, Magic Cylinder is a normal trap card. It reads, when an opponent's monster declares an attack, target the attacking monster, negate the attack, and if you do, inflict damage to your opponent equal to its attack. What are you thinking, man? How good is this bad boy? <laughs> See, I don't really see how this could be bad, so yeah, I'll say it's good. Okay. Jackson? It's I mean, yeah, it seems pretty straightforward. It's just I don't I don't really know. I don't see any reason to not run this in your deck, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like in your fucking extra deck. Why not? Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't go in your extra deck, but... It definitely, yeah. It just, it I don't know how it. fucking decks work in you. Okay. <laughs> so basically, Jackson, you have 40 cards in your entire deck. Uh, the extra deck is an entirely separate thing, where that's where, like, your extra deck monsters go. We'll get into one of those a bit later. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, those are specifically for monsters that can just be, like, summoned whenever you want, as long as their conditions are met. Yeah, this is just a card that you're gonna have to draw at some point. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty solid to me. I guess I'll go ahead and say it's competitively viable. Alright, okay. sweet. Dylan, how about you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so due to my experience with using this card, even against you, Nico, th there are just way too many trap and spell cards and monster cards, for that fact, that just say destroy trap, trap or spell card, or just get rid of, I think, Feather Tornado or Feather Dust or whatever, just completely wipes people's spell and trap field, uh, for nothing, like, it, they literally could just play it, and, like, there's a lot of nuanced strategies, like, you, oh, you could do this or that, I think there are too many cards between monsters and spells that just straight up will get rid of this card, so I do not think it is competitively viable. Yeah, Dylan's absolutely on the right track here. Uh, this card is bad. <laughs> this is not the a good one. So, uh, like Dylan said, there are a lot of ways to just, like, remove this card from the field. It only activates once your opponent, like, you know, attacks you. And so they have plenty of options before that to just, like, get rid of it. And, you know, on top of that, ultimately, what is this card really accomplishing? What it's doing is it's just pretty much, like, stopping your opponent from attacking with one monster during that turn. And unless their monster is at, like, 8,000 attack points, it's not going to kill them. <laughs> so they have plenty of other monsters that they can just attack you with uh, regardless of that. And so if you're at the point where they're actually able to, like, you know, start really attacking you, uh, this card's really not going to do anything. There are plenty of other cards that are much safer that you can play. They'll just, like, completely stop your opponent from attacking during that turn altogether. And so those cards are, like, significantly better than this one is, and even those ones don't really see play at all. Yeah. Mm. Uh, admittedly, Nico's oh, played Murphy. against my deck <laughs> a lot that has this, but regardless of that, yeah... That's just the nature of the game, boys. That's the nature of the game. And now for this next one, things are going to get a little more complicated for these final two cards, okay? Complicated. Uh -oh. Yeah, uh, just strap in a little bit here, boys. Strap in a little bit. We'll see. So, oh God. our next oh card God. here. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, Ghost Sister and Spooky Dogwood. Oh, it's adorable. I love it. Anyway. Yeah, it's pretty cute. This is a, uh, this is a hand trap card, okay? This is a hand trap. Gotcha. So there's a level three water tuner monster. Gotcha. What it does is during either either turn, except the end phase, quick effect, you can discard this card, apply this effect this turn. 
You can only use this effect of Ghosts from Spooky Dogwood once per turn. Each time your opponent special summons an effect monster, during the main phase or battle phase, you gain life points equal to that monster's attack. If you do not gain life points by this effect, your life points are halved during the end phase. Uh, what? Wait, 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 wait. If okay, you do so, not gain... <laughs> yeah, so basically what's happening here is when this card's in your hand, you can just send it to the graveyard. And once you do that, whenever your opponent special summons a monster, you gain life points equal to that monster's attack. If they don't, but only up... if it's an effect monster. Yeah. However, I will. Wait. I'll also. I'll tell you right now. The vast majority of cards are effect, or the okay. vast majority of monsters are effect monsters. No one plays normal monsters. Okay. Yeah. And then if they just like don't end up playing anything, then you lose half your life points. Okay. Is it pretty? I assume it's pretty easy to know if somebody played this card, or yeah. do do people know what you send to the graveyard? Yeah. So like you'll say, <laughs> like uh. Well, before your opponent like does something, you'll just uh, be like, "Okay, I'm sending this card to the graveyard now." By the way, okay. And then like they at that point they know like, "Oh, okay." So if I keep summoning stuff, they're gonna start gaining a bunch of life points. Okay. Hmm. Um, I feel like for that reason, uh, I think it's bad. And also, what I think I'm gathering is that life points are kind of irrelevant in this game. Almost like it seems like most of the viable cards are just about. Uh, snowballing to a point where the amount of life points a person has kind of doesn't matter, so I don't think gaining life points with this card actually makes a difference. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much on the same wavelength with Tanner on this one. It just, I, fe- I feel like I'm being baited by it because it seems like it's really easy to counter, um, except also maybe it's not just because, like, if somebody, if they, like, play this card and they have a bunch of stuff on the field, you have to, like, maybe counter that stuff on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of like forces you to give them more life points. Now I'm kind of backtracking on it because like I feel like this kind of I don't know. I feel like it puts it could put the the enemy in like a bad spot because it kind of like forces them to do something maybe or like if or if they don't then they're just like leaving themselves really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I'm gonna go ahead and say this card's viable. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. Fuck All it. right, solid. Dylan, what are you thinking about this bad boy? Yeah, so this card is very specific, and I think its payoff is not as good as its downside. I, I also understand that a majority of effect monsters are... I, I, I think, because this was where you cut out, Nico, I think what you were about to say is most effect monsters are special summoned. Uh, is that is that correct or no? Uh, I didn't hear well, that part. What I was uh, saying there, Dylan, was that uh, the vast majority of cards are special... Or not special. They are effect monsters. Uh, okay. And special summoning is something that is... Uh, the vast majority of the time when somebody summons a monster is being special summoned. So right. people can su- summon a shitload of cards in one turn. So you can definitely see a massive increase in your life points with this card. Yeah. I mean, but the other at the, on the other end of that, too, they're going to know you sacked this card... And yeah. so they'll they'll try to avoid special summoning as much as possible, and then all they have to do is like wait for you to get your life points down to enough to where they basically just have to one shot you. So unless you have mm-hmm. like a really solid defense strategy, that's not really good. Uh, like don't get me wrong, the benefit is amazing, but also uh, the the downside is much more so. So I'm gonna say this is not a competitively viable card. All right, all right, so. Let's kind of discuss this one a little bit, boys. So, gotcha. uh, like you guys have talked about, 
Um, yeah, so basically, you'll, your opponent will know that you're playing this card, and so once it's activated, then they have a choice to make. Do they just, like, keep summoning shit, or do they just, like, you know, not do anything else for the rest of the turn? Uh, if they just pass the turn to you, most Yu-Gi-Oh duels are over within, like, the first three to four turns, so if they're just passing on over to you, then you can probably just, like, immediately kill them the next turn at that point. The thing is, though... <laughs> Uh, life points don't really matter whatsoever in this okay. game, like Tanner said. Uh, in fact, gaining life points is probably, like, the worst effect a card can have. Yeah. <laughs> because, really, your main objective here is to decrease your opponent's life points to zero. How many life points you have at the end of the duel does not matter whatsoever. Right. So, this card is really, really bad. However, <laughs> this card did recently see a lot of competitive play. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, and that is because of the format that we were in at that point. So, <laughs> okay, you you have in like competitive uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, you have a time limit basically on how long the duels end up lasting. Mm-hmm. And once that time is over, the duel basically just like completely ends. Uh, and because of that, whoever has like the highest life points at the end of that time is the winner. And in a recent format we had, we would have uh, decks that would just like fucking special summon for like minutes and minutes on end and so if someone was playing this card and they activated it basically their opponent had either just like fucking end their turn there or if they just like kept going then the duel's gonna end and their life point the opponent has more life points than they do and they just end up winning instead (laughs) that format's over now though and that was a very small portion of this card's lifespan so i'm still marking as not a good card however at one point in history it was pretty good Whack. That's a point in history that I believed in. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, boys. And we are moving on to our final card now. Okay. This one's a bit of a doozy. We'll see. So get about ready that. for it. We have a final one here. We are looking at Red Eyes Dark Dragoon. I feel like mm. I've seen this card, but oh my god, no. It's so the long. The text is so tiny on this card. Yes, sir. Welcome to modern Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. Where card effects are just, like, really fucking long and squished on them tiny little boxes. So, this is our very first extra deck monster. There's a level 8 dark attribute fusion monster with 3,000 attack, boys. 3,000 attack and 2,500 defense. That's a pretty big body right there. Mm -hmm. It reads, this card requires one dark magician plus one red eyes black dragon or one dragon effect monster. Cannot be destroyed by card effects. Neither player can target this card with card effects. During your main phase, you can destroy one monster your opponent controls, and if you do, inflict damage to your opponent equal to that monster's original attack. You can use this effect a number of times per turn up to the number of normal monsters used as fusion material for this card. Once per turn, when a card or effect is activated, quick effect, you can discard one card, negate the activation, and if you do, destroy that card... And if you do that, this card gains a thousand attack. Okay, so this is whether or not we believe this is a red herring. <laughs> yeah, because this sounds fucking cracked beyond belief. But right. like, there has to be something wrong with it that we're misinterpreting here. During your main phase, so you, but okay, so but you'd be okay. You'd be summoning it on your own turn, and then its effect is also during. Do you okay? Are you able to use its effect that says during your main phase the same turn you summon it on? Uh, yeah, you can do that so long as it's like you know you summon it during your turn. Okay, so which by the way you most likely summon... will be doing it. Yeah, your exactly. Turn. So you're summoning it on your turn, and you're immediately able to do that thing where you can just fucking destroy their monsters, mm-hmm. and then 
anytime they try to play a card effect, A, it can't target it, and B, they can just destroy that and give it even more attack. Yeah. I'm taking I, the bait. I'm taking it. I'm going to say <laughs> this card's good. It, uh, <laughs> fucking... It's like immune to effects. That seems really overpowered, practically. What it, okay, wait, um... Let's see, it says... Use this effect number of times to normal monsters. Are normal monsters non-effect monsters? Yes, that's correct. So, okay. as you can see, the there's a fusion monster. So you have to uh, basically like, use two other cards in order to summon this. Uh, the materials it lists there are Dark Magician and Red-Eyes Black Dragon. Both of those are normal monsters. So, generally, you will be able to destroy two cards per turn with this thing. Or, like, two cards when it's summoned or whatever, you know. So what are you thinking? He's lost in thought. <laughs> Or disconnected again, unsure. Don't how about you? You haven't said anything for this card. Um, <laughs> I'm in the same boat. From my experience of Yu-Gi-Oh, this card is hella cracked. Uh, it literally cannot be targeted by any card effects, so that spans as far as trap cards, spell cards, monster cards. None of those effects. Like if it if it's if it says effect on a monster card and it targets another monster, this monster will not be affected by it. A, a card effect by a trap or spell card. Just by default, that's a card effect, so you can't target it with those either. Even if it's a general wipe, which most monsters aren't immune to, this card is immune to that. Because um, it just says cannot be destroyed by it. Now, that doesn't stop it from being banished. Well, no, that's correct, yeah. Those cards can still be banished. Well, but it also says this card, neither player can target this card. So you would still, you would still have to target it, which means it still can't be affected by it. This one's so... This one, I want to say, is good. The other issue is getting the materials on the field, because I believe Dark Magician is also a 7-star monster, I believe, and Red-Eyes Black Dragon is, like, a 6-star monster. Uh, so, so, as far as that goes, uh, you actually don't need to have them on the field. So, Polymerization, you can just, which is yeah, okay. uh, the most common fusion card, uh, you just need both of those cards in your hand in order to summon this thing. I will also add, by the way... Uh, the Red Eyes archetype has their very own fusion card, and what that does right. is you're able to just like play it, and you can just take the cards directly from your deck and use those to special summon this card. <sighs> the three thousand, so you can have this turn one. Ah, man, I want to say this is good. I feel like the fact that you need to have monster cards to use the really cool effect is. Like, that's obviously the downside, or the, the quote-unquote balancing of this card. Uh, I'm gonna say there's too many conditionals for this to let you win in three turns, as Nico oh. said earlier, so I'm gonna say this is a bad card. Well, hold on, Tanner. You need to you need to use those monsters regardless, so, you like, you have to use Dark Magician Well, I'm saying you, or... the, you wouldn't want to be filling your deck with just a bunch of normal monsters, I don't think. Well, well uh, okay... Why are you trying to convince him, Dylan? I assume this is a competition. That's fair. I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll concede. I'll concede. Let's hear what Nico has to say about this card. Alrighty, so... Yeah, Tanner, Tanner's absolutely right. Uh, filling your uh, deck with uh, some, like, you know, bad uh, cards is uh, not great. So, yeah, you need to have t at least two just, like, fucking normal-ass monsters who don't actually do anything in your deck... However, that said, this monster is pretty fucking nuts if you look at its effect, Damn. you know? Like, it sounds crazy. 
So much so that uh, when this card was initially released, uh, it was released in Japan first. They have like an entirely separate format from we do. So like they get a bunch of cards and we get a bunch of like different cards and like it's this whole thing. While it was over there, this card fucking destroyed the format, okay? This card yeah. is what every deck was built around. You can actually very easily summon this card uh, via a different card called Verte Anaconda, okay? Where you just like summon, uh-huh. if you just like get two cards on the field, then you can just summon the f- fucking Verte Anaconda. And from there, he can just like send the fucking fusion card from the deck to the graveyard and then just summon this guy, okay? It's oh, pretty okay. crazy, alright? It's pretty nuts. However, <laughs> when this card came over here to the States, people found very quickly it's not actually that good. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, as you guys said, uh, this card cannot be targeted by effects, right? It also cannot be destroyed by card effects. Uh... That sounds pretty good, and it is. Like, like, don't get me wrong; those are pretty good. However, there are a lot of ways around that. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of ways around it. I just nothing came immediately to mind. There are a lot of cards that uh, are non-targeting and non-destruction effects. So, for yeah. example, if a card is basically destroying a card, but doesn't say that's destroying it, then that doesn't affect. Then uh, this card is still affected by that. For example, if a card says "send one of your opponent opponent's monsters to the graveyard," that is a non-destruction, non-targeting effect. Even though wow. it's specifying to send one of their cards, one of which you pick, by the way, and send it to the graveyard, which is basically destroying it. That doesn't That's count because it's not saying that targets nor destroys. <laughs> so it's, it's so a perfectly nuanced. fair game. Was that okay? So that distinction between destroying and then send to the graveyard, Uh was that an oversight early on in the making of this game that they just decided to leave? Uncertain. That this verbiage (laughs) that doesn't line up? I I, I don't know how recent the sending to graveyard uh, thing is. Furthermore, you can also, like, tribute this card as well. So, for example, there are these monsters called Kaijus, which are pretty common. Because uh, cards like this, like Red-Eyes Dark Dragoon, are actually decently common. You see them every now and then pop up throughout the formats. And they're not immune to just, like, being tributed by another card. So basically what happens is you have this card called Kaiju. Uh, you just, like, use your opponent's monster to summon it. And that that doesn't... It, those are basically... There's nothing you can do about that, really. Like, being tributed for an effect, you can't really do anything about that. And then, like, there are just, like, a myriad of other ways to really get rid of this thing. You can negate its effects and shit like that as well. It, you can get rid of it fairly easily, actually. Yeah, I To be honest, the more into the weeds you get into, like, the, the prevailing strategies in Yu-Gi-Oh!, yeah. uh, the more it sounds like this game fucking sucks. <laughs> That's right, Tanners. Don't play Yu-Gi-Oh! Play Magic. I don't agree with that statement either. It just sounds like the most wildly unbalanced and, like, dice roll fucking card game this I've ever heard of. This sounds fucking impossible to get into. How the hell do you learn any I of will, shit? I will say, this is kind of the general consensus with, like, all card games. I say stop, don't play Yu-Gi-Oh! And play Magic. The exact same thing can happen in Magic, though, unfortunately, as well, where people just get these insane strategies and workarounds and then do this kind of shit. So, you're not really safe from it in any form of card game, unfortunately. And with that said, boys, it looks like after everything was said and done, Dylan, you actually got the most correct, my man. You got five out of the seven correct, dude. Let's go! Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. I played Yu-Gi-Oh, man. I don't know what to tell you. I played Yu-Gi-Oh once. I played it much longer than you. (laughs) 
And then Tanner and Ed Jackson both got three, correct. Wait, what? We only got three? Yeah, you two only got three. I, f- I thought we did much better. <laughs> we didn't I, I realized early on that I actually probably knew more about Yu-Gi-Oh than I originally thought, so I started letting you guys go first so I could A, have time to analyze the card, and B, not give you guys the answers. <laughs> yeah, fortunately for Dylan, most of these were from older formats, so... yeah. I mean, I have newer cards, too, somewhere. I don't know where they are, but, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. there we go, boys. Congratulations. Dylan, as a prize, I'll give you a cool-looking Yu-Gi-Oh card the next time I see you. Whoa. That's Whoa. so cool. I'll add it to my amalgamation deck where nothing makes sense. <laughs> okay, um, well, you know, Nico got to do his bullshit about something he's really interested, so I'd like to take some time to do mine. God, are we gonna do politics again? Dylan, can you please tell us what's happening in Israel? I heard (laughs) something blew up. (laughs) That's all I know. I was Luckily for you, I was on YouTube last night. I got on really late, and I was just, like, scrolling through, because, like, unlike the TV format of YouTube, they have, like, it separated by, you know, news, entertainment, comedy, like, all that. I scrolled down for whatever random reason. It's, like, something about Hamas... Hamas blows something up in Israel or whatever. I don't know how to pronounce it, man. I don't care. Uh, All I know is something blew up in Israel, and it was some organization that did it. Man, what a terrible description. Uh, Nico and and Jackson, have you guys followed this uh, news at all? Not particularly closely. I've seen what's been going on, though. Gotcha, yeah, yeah, so... I was going to say, what's unfortunate about the fucking Israel thing for me is that I have seen, I've got two Twitter accounts. I've got a general Twitter account that I have one specifically for CSGO content. And the CSGO content account, if it's not a CSGO tweet, I immediately just mute the account um, or say I'm not interested in that tweet. So I've seen so much shit about Israel today, except I've not looked at any of it because I've just immediately muted the accounts or, (laughs) you know, not seen it. And on my other Twitter account, I've seen nothing about Israel. So, uh, yeah, I'm completely in the dark. Oh, okay. I'm gonna. I'll make this quick. Okay. You got Israel. You got Palestine. They don't like each other. Hamas is a terrorist organization, and also kind of the government in uh, Gaza, which is the west, or yeah, the west coast of Israel. Um, Yesterday, Hamas launched a massive attack, like fucking ridiculous. They were blowing up buildings. Um sent a ton of missile strikes. They also invaded, like, border towns of Israel. They were killing civilians indiscriminately. They were kidnapping people. I think what I read is maybe, like, 500 people have been kidnapped and are now being held in Gaza by Hamas. Um, it's a really... It's a it's not good. It's really bad. And uh, Israel uh, has basically declared they're just gonna kind of wipe Gaza off the face of the earth. I believe they're invading with about 300,000 troops. And, uh, this matters because this can easily spin off into World War III, because obviously the United States and most of Europe is, you know, very close allies with Israel, and then you have the entirety of, like, the Middle East who are very close allies of Palestine, And then, you know, China and Russia would probably piggyback off of this, too, because they just want to fuck us over. Uh, It's a real powder keg of a situation, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll probably all get drafted in a couple of months here. Oh, boy. Do we have any questions? No. Uh, If World War III happens, do you think that would uh, just, like, at the end, you know, like, really improve the Middle East, or uh, just uh, create even more problems there? Hmm. I, I... See, the only problem is, 
is that you look at the Middle East and you're like, well, how much worse could it get, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's already so bad there. I guess you can kind of say that they're playing from a, well, I have nothing less left to lose mentality. I, yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, they can get fucking glassed by nuclear hellfire, but <laughs> I don't know how much they actually care at this point. Uh, I've got an easier question for you to answer that's also about the World War. Do they okay. still not let trainees into the army? Because I'm trying to find a way out of here. Um, I know the easy. Ukraine military recently started drafting trans women. Uh, I don't think they draft trans men, though, but that doesn't help you, obviously. No. Yeah. Um, Israel... And the United States, well, Israel, okay, hold on. Let me stick with what would be relevant to you. I don't think we'd ever draft women. Right. I Actually, our, you know, it's a Democratic president. Our military is gay as fuck right now. They'd probably, <laughs> you know, if you pretended to be a woman, they probably wouldn't draft you. Let's fucking go. I think I might need to start working on my transitioning papers here. <laughs> Nika, I think we're not going to be going to the gym anymore. I think we really have to look the part here. Yeah, I think we're going to have to start really shooting up some estrogen, dude. Mm-hmm. You guys you guys could just claim a conscious a conscientious objector status and not, you know, transition into a woman. Does that work for being drafted? Yeah. Huh. Uh, hypothetically. Hypothetically. <laughs> well, I'll try my best, Tanner. I'll, I'll let you know the results. Huh. I don't know exactly how conscientious objector works because I I think the government is kind of just allowed to say we don't believe you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that maybe ends up going to the courts or some shit. I don't know. Probably. I would imagine. So yeah. Um, my last political point I'll just make so that I can you know rant on this limited platform I have is I just find it very funny. How a lot of people voted for Biden on the premise that he was going to, like, return America's, you know, respected place in the world stage. And, you know, they people yelled all the time during Trump's presidency about how World War Three was imminent and whatever. Well, here we are with three years of Biden. We have a land war in Europe between Russia and Ukraine, with Ukraine <laughs> being helped by literally the entirety of the Western world, that could easily turn into World War Three if we decide to get any more involved than we currently are. And now we have fucking the end of days, uh, like, Revelation-style battles in Israel. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. You people are clowns. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, sorry. What do you think Anyways. Trump would have done if he was in this whole situation, though? He would have, well... I think really uh, it's it's more of what they believe he would have done. Mm -hmm. They would have think he would have dropped nukes on them if they tried this shit. They yeah. don't think that Biden would try that shit, which is why they in did these invasions while he was in office. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, with that out of the way, boys, I'm not saying go. guapa shit the movies, by the way. I'm not doing that yet. Well, yeah, we're going to wait a second too early. for that. Yeah, come on. Just just hold on a second, boys. Just hold on a second. I actually have a little declaration I want to make here for our audience. Hello there, dear listener. If you're about listener. to say no more politics, shut the fuck <laughs> That's up. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. Hello there, dear audience. I would like to challenge you with a little something. Some. Next week, I want to make it a special episode. Not for any reason in particular, just because I think it'll be fun. I want you to go into the comments right now, or if you're a Patreon supporter, hop on into the Patreon, and I want you to feel free to ask us some questions. And we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A next episode. How does that sound, boys? 
Ooh, that sounds great. If we actually ever got anyone to respond, <laughs> we have to be. We have to have hope, Tanner. We have to think that they'll do it. We have to believe that they'll do it, and then they'll do it. <laughs> I already made a fucking uh, YouTube community post. I post on Twitter and shit like that. I believe Whoa. in our audience, Tanner. I believe that they will respond with uh, some uh, solid questions that we can give them some A's to. Gotcha. Make God. a Reddit post too. I think you there have a we bigger go. Audience yeah. on Reddit. Yeah, that would work. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I'll give it a shot. You know, Nico, I will say, in reference, before we get to Guavish at the movies, there was one thing that I was curious about. Huh. Uh, if you recall, a couple weeks ago, you uh, you were very uh, you were very upset that uh, you didn't get your chance. I don't actually know if this is in the, the topics anymore. It's not. I remember what you're referring to. Oh, I remember as well. You, you said you wanted to, to mention a little something about Groundhog Day and how you were very upset at me as to why you didn't get to share that. W- this whoa. son of a bitch, Dylan, made us rush through the movies that week. If you're wondering why we weren't able to really talk in depth about the films, he's the reason why. Blame him. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't the reason. Uh, there were plenty of other things that consumed our time, but go you on. You were the one who said that we need to rush through this and finish it, it up. It wasn't my fault. The, the recording was two hours. <laughs> It's your fault we had to end early. Go on. Say what you're going to say. Have you guys ever thought about how in Groundhog Day, uh, I don't even fucking remember what I was trying to say right now. It's something like Undertale. There you go. Undertale yeah. and Groundhog Day, they're one and the same, guys. H- how so? How is, Bill how- Murray is flowy. Exactly. What? what? Is, wait, Bill Murray is flowy? How, yeah. how does that work? Think about it. I, I, I don't understand the plot of Undertale whatsoever. What? I've, I've started... A camp, uh, an Undertale run through. I've never, I haven't played more than like fifteen minutes. You daft son of a bitch. Let me, let me impart some Undertale it. knowledge specifically about the Flowey characters. So basically, uh-huh. the TLDR with them is that they. I'm not going to describe like their necessary past, but basically, they have like a way of manipulating. I don't know if it's like even manipulating like space and time or something, but they kind of like are aware of like the video game status of their existence. Um, and they're able to basically just like, you know, go through like constant time loops practically. So yeah. they they don't really have anything else to fucking do. They're kind of, you know, they're kind of like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day where they're just like they go through um, the same thing over and over and over again. Um, you know, and because of that, they're experimenting with the, like, you know, with like the Undertale. There's like the genocide route and stuff like that. So Flowey was kind of the progenitor of that where, the, you know, he went through and fucking killed all the people in the Underworld. Uh, he saved all the people of the Underworld, but he just got bored of it over time because it just kept happening over and over again. So that's the comparison with gotcha. Bill Murray. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I did uh, I did, ha- I did. read in a book here recently uh, specifically about Groundhog Day and the, the interpretation of it. It was, in fact, supposed to be this guy, the guy that Bill Murray was playing, was not improving himself as a human being at all. In fact, he, he looked down on a lot of people. And I guess the universe just wasn't okay with that. So they wanted him to live to live the day over and over again. And first he exploited it for his own benefit and gain. And that's obviously not what the universe wanted. So when he started changing, becoming a better person and learning that what? he can help people out, that that's what that's what finally broke it. What's up, Tanner? What what book were you reading that oh. had like interpretation of Groundhog Day in it? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. It's the Tell Bible. me anyway. <laughs> uh, no the the book is called Mindset by Carol Dweck. There was a I it's just a self help book. It sure oh, is. Okay. So you shouldn't read self help books written by women. They can't help you. That, that's obje- that's a that's a lie. That's a subjective lie that you've told yourself. But we'll we'll continue on as if you didn't say that. Uh, Don, how many self help books have you read? A lot. Have Do they you feel worked? Like they're working. 
If you've read that many? I mean, just because I act this way around you guys, it's just the demeanor I've chosen to put on in this environment. But, but like, regardless what of is, that, what does that have to do with anything? Yes, yeah. I believe they've helped. I don't know why else I would be reading them. I'm assuming because you're buying them for your pyramid scheme. No, I'm mm. reading them because they're helping me. What are you talking about? How are they helping you? It's it's implied that they're self-help books. I'd, I'd read a lot of... Yeah, how, how have they helped you? Uh, people skills, communication skills, relationship skills, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Just generally connecting and, you know, being able to communicate with people better. That's... Hmm. Have you ever considered that maybe self-help books are a scam, Dylan? No, I just think that because you think... I just think... Never mind, I screwed up my sentence already. <laughs> Let's move on. Clearly they haven't helped with your communication <laughs> skills too much. <laughs> like, wouldn't Nothing's it make sense fix my for, like... Brain. Wouldn't it make sense for, like, the self-help books to not actually help you at all? What? Because, like, the authors, their best interest is that, like, you know, you still need more help. So that they can sell more books to you in the future. Okay. So it's their best interest to not actually help you at all. That's a that's a pretty bleak way of looking at this. I think <laughs> yeah, there I yeah. think there are people that just write things to you know to want to help the their fellow man. It's not entirely yeah. about money. I I think the way that you're seeing it is the way that you would have done it is the issue here, Nico. Jesus. I do I do agree with Nico though that MLM companies like to fucking for self-help books down people that are with them. That is, like, a major thing that basically every single one of them does. Yeah. Let me let me put it this way. You should never read a self-help book by a person whose main profession and source of income is writing self-help books. Okay. You should only read these books by people who have, like, accomplished other things and don't, and, like, don't really stand to gain much from said books i mean a majority of these people that i'm reading from are doctors and such so they also have like psychology doctors. degrees you know whatever you guys don't have to believe me i'm not gonna have this pointless argument sitting here we no, can i'm not move saying on. i don't believe you i i'm saying i don't believe these people's credentials well that's your problem not mine so let's move it, on it is your problem if you're taking their advice <laughs> guys i've got a more fun question to ask other than this stupid self-help book bullshit thank that you being- jackson my frog question. You guys might be <laughs> thinking, question. what the what the fuck does that mean, Jackson? Yes. What does that mean? So you guys are probably all familiar with the the boiling frog experiment. Yeah, um, of course. For the people in our audience that are basically, if you put a frog in boiling water, it's just going to immediately hop out because it, you know it doesn't want to be put in fucking boiling water. But yeah. if you put a frog in you know like lukewarm water and then slowly heat it up over time. You know, to the point where the water's boiling, the frog is totally fine with it because you know it just like adjusts to the temperature over time. That's um, true. Have you also considered that uh, the actual test that that uh, was conducted with? Uh, they actually cut the brain out of the frog. Uh, that's that's completely irrelevant to the question <laughs> that I'm attempting to follow up with. Basically, uh, I'm trying to use this frog as like a metaphor for instances in our life. Uh, specifically, do you guys think you're ever like the frog in a scenario, you know, where you're like you're in a situation maybe that's really bad for you overall, you know, you're fucking boiling and dying, uh, but you're so used to it. Uh, yes. That you're just like, you've completely just kind of accepted your fate at that point. Do you feel like you guys have ever been in a scenario like that? Yes. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The smell in this house, I'm sure it's terrible at this point, but I just can't smell it at this point. Oh my <laughs> gosh, right? It's I, like, I want to like die every time I pass by your room, I'm going to be honest with you, Nico. It's rough. <laughs> That's why I air it out so often, man. It doesn't help. <laughs> It helps for like a day and then nothing happens beyond that. Uh, I'd say I've been in that position where, you know, I've been in a job where I like, I just 
barely, not even, not even, I like just barely don't make enough money to get by, but like I can still figure it out usually when I need to. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't in that situation very long, obviously, but, you know, it'll have been a couple months where I'm like, shit, or at the, or it seems like things are fine because I'm getting by, Yeah. but I'm actually kind of digging myself into a hole Mm -hmm. and then... Mm -hmm. You know, I gotta eventually be like, fuck, I need to find something that pays more. Yeah, my my example is also based on a job, as I'm sure you guys are aware because I've mentioned it so much. Uh, my job is like a waiter and a bartender. Specifically yeah. when I worked in the hometown location. Uh, holy shit, that was so fucking bad for my mental health. Like, I still literally, I don't, I'm not going to go as far as saying I have like literal PTSD about it. Um, but there are many, many moments where I still have nightmares about, you know, like specific instances from that job. Um... And again, not not like PTSD, but it's pretty bad. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of that. I you know I think about it a lot still, and I definitely should not have stuck with that for as long as I did. It was just because I was just kind of like comfortable in you know the the normalcy of like working that like same job for so long. Like I was with that company for almost like seven years, uh, and yeah, I definitely should not have put up with it for that long. It was really fucking bad for my mental health. That makes sense. I did, I missed all of Tanner's story and pretty much all of Jackson's, but I can I can agree. I guess. Do you have any boiling frog scenarios in your life, Dylan? Yes. Let's uh, go. <laughs> His entire life is a boiling frog scenario, actually. Uh, it's been a while, so I shouldn't feel uncomfortable sharing it, technically. Nico might know what I'm thinking of. Oh, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what you're thinking of. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's really awkward because it's like the only thing that applies in my life. Uh I guess the past relationship is probably at this point what I what I would consider the boiling frog situ- uh, situation, mm. uh, and the reason I say that too, it's not really throwing shade, but like the general consensus that I've gotten from talking to literal multitudes of people from every area and aspect of my life, they've all kind of given me the same conclusion, uh, which helps with the closure factor to say the least. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna really explain anymore. I don't think you guys need more explanation than that. Uh, no, oh, we you. need more explanation, but the audience doesn't. Fuck you, audience. Also, give us those questions. Maybe Dylan yeah. will answer it if you help wonder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah audience, ask all of the most personal questions you can possibly think of. Just like, impossibly invasive of our own personal privacy. Like I said, um, I should be entirely over this at this point. It's just, I guess I don't talk about it enough. It, it has me, been so. a hot second now, hasn't it? Have it's you ever been... gone to, like, therapy or anything for it? Have you just, like, talked I to people do... personally about it? I honestly think I need to go to therapy because it's honestly even seeped into my subconscious. Like, I I have dreams and stuff. It, it really fucks me up and everything, too. So Yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. No, it's not. And it's just, like, I think it was only, it was literally sheerly for the length of time. It And I, I guess it was probably the emotional and mental attachment uh, and that's yeah. that's also just part of my personality, unfortunately. So, but you know, it, I I think I'm still relatively okay given the circumstances. The situations yeah. physically aren't great, but you know, I'm here. At least there aren't any other areas of your life where you're overly attached to something that's ultimately bad for you, and everyone else around you realizes it. <laughs> yeah, true. And with that said, boys, time for Guavish at the Movies! Whoa! I don't have any songs, because I don't remember. 
We're so bad at this. I don't know why I even started that in the first place. I think it's a stupid bit that none of us like doing. There we go. Which means we have to keep doing it. Exactly. Well, just like the entire Guapish the movie segment. Yeah, we all hate this shit, but we have to keep doing it because we're forced to. I wouldn't say hate it. I realize now that we're going to watch so many movies. Yeah, it's a- if you guys had to choose a favorite, do you guys like the normal part of the podcast or the guapish at the movies part? It varies More. from episode to episode for me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. it depends on how good the movies were. Yeah, yeah. I really engage with the movies. I definitely vastly prefer guapish at the movies. Like I'd say, yeah, normally I- my excitement for like the normal part of the segment is like a four out of ten. Uh, and guapish at the movies can range from like you know all the way from like one to ten. So there's a pretty well, pretty wide margin. The thing with that, though, too, is, like, I think it depends on how well the actual podcast is going. Because I feel like, in in terms of today, I feel like the energy and, like, what we've had to talk about is really good. Uh, I feel like sometimes when the energy in Guapshit the movies... Okay, I'm bored now. Let's talk about the movies. Jackson, what did we watch this week? (laughs) Oh, man, we watched some great movies this week, and we're going to be starting out with probably the the second best, maybe even the first best to some of them, um, Sophie's Choice, a movie that Nico has been wanting to watch for a very long time and very conveniently was actually recommended. Um, by our beautiful patron, Tutbot. Thank you, Tutbot, for recommending this movie. I love you, Thank Tutbot. You. you finally got me to watch this movie, so I can finally understand what it means whenever I say, oh boy, this is a real Sophie's Choice of a situation, now, ain't it? So, uh. Sophie's Choice is a film. It's about a lady named Sophie, okay? And she needs to make a big choice, all right? She's currently dating this one guy, and he's just so charming and charismatic, but he can be a bit of a handful sometimes, you know? He, he and he's a Jew! <laughs> Yeah, that's the negative that's wrong with him, Tanner. You're right. Well, for her. Yeah, yeah, for her. Oh, my God. Okay. And uh, she also needs to choose between him and, like, this other guy who's, like, this uh, southern farm boy, okay, who just moved to town. He's not quite as exciting, but she knows that he'll treat her just right. Hilarity ensues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, his name is Stingo. (laughs) Yeah, his name's fucking Stingo. He's a piece of shit. I fucking hate him. (laughs) Fuck Stingo, by the way. Jesus no, but actually, though, uh, this film is about a boy named Stingo who moves into a fucking uh, New York or some bullshit, some big city. He's going to be a big city boy now. And he gets to move in with these people in the same building named, like, Sophie and this other guy. He's really cool. I don't remember his name, though. I think it's, like, Nick or some bullshit. Nathan. Nate. Nathan. That's the one. Nathan. So... Very quickly, he realizes that Nathan, he don't treat her super great. But at the same time, he's a real swell gentleman at other times. And so, you know, he he can definitely understand why old Sophie would be super attached to him. But at the same time, Sophie's a foreigner, okay? And he sees pretty quickly, she's got some fucking numbers on her arm. What's going on there? And over the course of the film, we get to see as their relationship grows and blossoms, as they become just the greatest of friends. But also, Sophie hides a hidden dark past where she used to be in concentration camps. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and at some point during her time at some point during her time over in Europe she had to choose she had to make the titular Sophie's choice between whether or not she was going to keep her little baby boy or a little baby girl she went with the boy base take but at the end of the day she decides to not go with Nathan uh, and uh, like you know be his girl instead kill herself with Nathan right <laughs> and yeah. then the movie yeah, this movie's ends. fucked up dude <laughs> yeah Jesus uh, Christ also, we got the hard R in the first five minutes of this movie. Yeah, I... Yeah. <laughs> a guapish first, by the way, guys. <laughs> I Is guess it? so. 
I think so. I don't recall hearing. Well, no, there was definitely another movie where that straw was dropped. Was it? Did, are you oh, sure? Oh, the N word. That's what you're talking about. When you said hard R. Never mind. What the what? hell do you yeah. think you were talking about? <laughs> I thought you were talking you about thought really... I was saying retard. What? You fucking retard. <laughs> God. Anyway, is this um, the first time we've heard the N word? I I, I I I want to say yes. I okay. thought. No, like, I'd... Undercover Brother would be the only other one, but I don't think they ever dropped the hard no, R. I don't, I don't no, think they did I remember there was, a, there was another movie that dropped the word, because I freaked out about it. I definitely oh, remember Oh, you that. know, I so, bet they had it in fucking Reservoir Dogs. Either that, that or sense. Straw Dogs. No, somewhere. why would it be in Straw Dogs? <laughs> it's set in Britain. Why They don't... There are any black people exist movie. over there. Yeah. Anyways. You saying hard R and there being confusion about it did remind me of like, uh, I think it was like some interview with either Linus Tech Tips or Mr. Beast recently, where he was talking <laughs> like, yeah, back in the day, we would just constantly throw around like the hard R and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and he just like kept going on about that. And their interviewer had like a wild look on his face. And he eventually asked, you really said that? <laughs> and to which he clarified, yeah, you know, we, we, you know, retard? We, we used to say it constantly. And there was a big <laughs> laugh after that as they realized, oh, we thought <laughs> you're talking about the n-word that's funny yikes anyway um let me fuck let, stingo here, hold on a second this <laughs> is my did. one sentence take on why this movie exists let me see if you guys agree with this this movie feels like a a borderline practical joke where a director just decided to make a movie where he could trick women into watching like a borderline historical world war ii drama <laughs> i could see it I guess so. Lure them in with forty minutes of a you know of a of a romance movie where you know she it's a woman who's got two boys pining after her and then it's Holocaust for forty fucking minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I will say it was very odd and jarring for them to. Maybe I felt that it was clunky. They kind of clunkily shifted very quickly into World War Two Holocaust real fast, and I was like, hold on a second. Are you trying to tell me this isn't some kind of romance, like, drama romance movie this is supposed to be? I was so confused about the tone the movie was trying to take about halfway through it. <laughs> I agree that was clunky, like, because obviously the Holocaust stuff, stuff was a part of Sophie's, like, life or whatever. Yeah. But none of it feels particularly relevant to the story that's happening in the mo modern time, you yeah. know? yeah. Yeah, I also, it's literally just her excuse for having, like, trauma. For being and, like, a shitty person. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's her just excuse for being a shitty decision. person, it, really. Yeah, and I I don't know, because we've talked about how long movies are. I don't think it was recent. I think it was when I was going over the old podcast. Anyway, this movie is, like, two and a half hours, and, like, they really use that two and a half hours. I'm not saying they used it well. They, there was just so, there was too much. Too much story yeah. going on. They, they could have, A, reduced it, and B, if they were going to include the Holocaust stuff, just make it a small portion. I don't need to see her living her life in, in, in a concentration camp. Like, it has nothing to do with what the movie started with, so I don't see how it's relevant. This movie is hard for me to judge, because like, to judge the quality of, just because, like, I am very aware that this movie is not for me. I am not the target audience of this. This is not something I am. I would ever be interested in watching. Frankly, 
um, you know, the most interesting parts for me were the Holocaust stuff, because, you know, <laughs> I'm into history and I'm a man. Yeah. So fucking, they should have just cut out all of the dumb romance stuff in, like, the post-war era, because I don't give a shit about any of that, and just shown me, like, a depressing Holocaust movie. That would have been more entertaining for me. Yeah, this movie feels like it has an identity crisis, where it doesn't really know which of the two routes it wants to prioritize, mostly. Uh, and which definitely leans on what you guys were saying with it being clean. Like, it... Yeah. It just does it, it... Like, it's, like, so... Just so jarring. Like, obviously, they hint a lot throughout, you know, fucking Nathan's, like, really into, like, the research and stuff of, of this, and there's, like, the fucking... The doctors and stuff that they talk to throughout the movie, but it just doesn't... It doesn't really feel like the two stories just mesh at all with each other. Like, I think it's hard for the audience to want to care about both tracks here. Like, I feel like even, like, yeah. the target audience, like, fucking probably whatever, middle-aged women that really like melodramas uh, yeah. is, are, are what they're trying to get to watch this, but I don't feel like those types of women are really going to care that much about the Holocaust part. They're just going to think, oh, it's so sad. Uh, let's get back to yeah. romance, and then <laughs> yeah, it's it just seemed, it's just a really weird design choice for this film. Yeah, I had a uh, mention of my mom we were watching this movie uh, this last week, and she was like, oh, I could just never watch that movie. Like, hey, that sounds so sad of a situation that that lady was in. If I was put oh. there, I would just kill myself. <laughs> Wait, your mom actually said yeah, that? I was like, Jesus Christ. The no way. Is wild, dude. <laughs> she'll never put in that situation where you want to be here today. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the other issue that I had with this movie. My issue was Sophie's attachment to Nathan. And granted, they did specify, like, oh, she came to America or whatever, and he basically saved her life. He nursed her back to health, he took care of her, he got her doctors. That's all understandable. I can see a form of gratitude from that. But she's been seemingly putting up with his split personality paranoia, whatever they called it, for, like, a long time now. Uh, and, like, she's just, like... I know that this guy's treating me so nice, but like, I, I feel like it, it was almost like a sense of obligation she felt she had to go back to Nathan. I'm like, that's so stupid. Why are you doing that? Stop it. And then it came to my mind. I was like, this is this isn't a blast. This is probably a very questionable thing I'm about to say. For some reason, women have this weird magnetism to go back to abusive relationships, and I will never understand why. Yeah, I was literally gonna say it's because she's a woman. <laughs> I was going to say, this is in the 1950s, so that's actually what a very healthy, non-abusive relationship looked like back then. <laughs> I mean, I was also just going to say, she doesn't have anything else at this point, is the big thing, though. Yeah. She doesn't even seem to have a job. Yeah. The, the, the movie very clearly made it seem like, okay, based on the title, she's got to choose between these two guys. And it's like, I'm sitting here like, the, the choice is like, just leave the other guy to go with this guy because the other guy is clearly mentally unstable. I would hope she could at least recognize that. And I know what I'm ranking on the... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to interrupt you. You go. Finish your thought. Oh, all I was going to say is I know I'm, like, ratting on the movie, like, a lot. I didn't think... I thought the idea was interesting. I thought the w the length at which it was carried out was too long. I thought the acting was pretty pretty good for a lot of it. It, it had interesting story points. Some I was more interested in others, but, like, it just didn't click and gel very much. This movie was just... I watched it, to say the least, I guess. There we what go. I want to say here is... Fuck Stingo! I hate that guy! Why do you hate him? He's a piece of shit, dude. I don't want him in this movie whatsoever. I feel like him 
it's him in particular really drags it down because it doesn't feel like he really has any reason to be here like whatsoever true i feel like if it were just about fucking sophie and nathan that would be much more compelling because i actually like those characters stingo is fucking nothing to me he's just some outside dude looking at this shit and not really contributing much to it it's kind of just like a device for the author to let us watch their story unfold he's He's very yeah. much like a nothing character. Yeah, this uh, this one was adapted from a book. It really just does feel like his character is here specifically because he was from a fucking book, and like the author needed to have like a character who's experienced all this all this wacky stuff between this couple. Whereas it would be significantly better if we were just seeing the two of them instead. What do you guys think about the reveal of Nathan being fucking crazy? I mean, honestly, we knew he was crazy throughout the whole movie, but like like medically diagnosed, this guy's insane. I needed verbal confirmation for something that I already knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was perfectly fine with that. I really like Nathan as a character because, like, you know, when we're initially introduced to him, it's like, what the? Fu- this guy's a fucking asshole. Oh my god! But then yeah. immediately, he really starts to change your mind. You know, he's just—he's so fucking charming, guys. Just right. uh, yeah, yeah. The the actor for Nathan and Sophie, I think, did a really amazing job in this film. Uh, Stingo, not so much. Fuck that guy. And yeah, I, I just really—I really wish we were able to see more of them. Along with that, just like. Uh, the cinematography in this film was another thing that was just really fucking boring in this film. It was just, it was just like uh, the camera just uh, looking between these two characters as they're talking, with nothing like really interesting going on in the setting that they're in or things like that. There were like a couple of points throughout the film where I was like, oh, okay, here we go, they're doing something kind of nice here. Uh, like with when they came back and they saw Nathan like fucking uh, doing the whole orchestra shit, that was pretty nice. Outside of that though, uh, it, it was absolutely nothing to write home about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh, One thing that stood out to me as like, huh, that seems like not great writing. Um, Stingo and Sophie do not seem very torn up over hearing Nathan kill himself on the phone. What do you mean? He He didn't didn't kill himself on the phone. What do you? Yeah, we heard him shoot himself. No. No. Because he's like, he's like, you know what I'm going to do to you when I see you? And he shoots the gun and then he talks. The way he died at the end of the movie. I didn't hear him say anything after that. I thought he fucking shot himself. No, I think he was just threatening them. Yeah, when he when they were investigating the crime scene at the end of the movie, uh, they were like, yeah, he, he got a hold of some cyanide pills. Does anybody know where he worked? Gotcha, so. that explains a lot then. Yeah. I thought I thought that in that phone conversation, they heard him blow his fucking brains out. <laughs> no, no. And then they don't, like, cry or anything. I'm like, huh? Okay. Yeah, no, he, Definitely he was not. just threatening them, so that's why they fucking skipped town immediately after... Yeah, that's even stupider because that means that she slept with Stingo and then went back to Nathan. That's exactly what happened. That's why Which, I was by so the upset. Way, by the way, that fucking scene uh, where like fucking Sophie and uh, Stingo were chilling in the hotel room or whatever. Like, what the fuck, Stingo? You piece of shit. I fucking hate you, guy. He's <laughs> she's just like telling him, no, I don't. I don't want to fucking get married to you right now, dude. Like, what's up with all this? And he's like, look, we're going to the south, okay? We gotta get married, all right? Like, just trust me here. I don't really fucking care what you want here. I don't want to, like, work on our relationship a bit first or anything like that. I don't care that we haven't, like, dated or anything like that before this. I want to get married now. Based. Um. <laughs> it doesn't make him out to be, like, the nice guy it feels like they're trying to portray him as. Yeah, no. What do you think he was writing? Like, uh, what kind of book do you think it was? Oh, yeah, we didn't get closure on that either. Autobiography of the Holocaust. <laughs> That it was probably a like a, a beta form of Star Wars, I'd assume. I feel like I Nathan so. was the uh, progenitor of Han Solo. Okay. Yeah, I guess, I guess for like closing thoughts, uh-huh. uh, acting was pretty solid overall. 
Uh, the cinematography was really fucking boring. Generally, the movie itself was just really fucking boring. The plot seemed really disjointed. Uh, it was pretty fucking slow. It definitely just seemed uh, like some generic melodrama. I wasn't super into it. And because of that, Jackson, what rating are you going to give it? Uh, I definitely see the value in this movie. I, like Tanner said, it's not a movie that's meant for me at all. Yeah. Um, but I'm not really going to hold it, hold that much back. Uh, I give this movie a C. Yeah. I'm a that's flat it- C as well. Yeah. Ooh. Dylan, how are you feeling on it? You know, it's crazy you guys mentioned that. Uh, I thought this movie was absolutely mid, and I, for the first time in Guapich history, I'm going to give this movie a C. Huh. His first C ever, boys. Let's fucking go. That's pretty Let's nuts. Go. And yeah. what's even more nuts is I was also thinking a C, guys. Oh guys, my okay. god. <laughs> guys, let's go. It's the second movie that ever has a... Uh... Objective rating. Yeah, yeah. one we all agree on. Congratulations, Sophie's Choice. Definitive mid-movie. <laughs> oh yeah, I should I should mention, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, when Nico and I were watching the movie, obviously the... I don't know if you guys watched it on my Plex server, but there yes. are subtitles by default. And we yeah. got to the Holocaust section. For like the for like 10 or 15 minutes of watching it, we were just watching it in fucking Germix. We just... <laughs> Did that I what the fuck was going on, and I was like, I should probably go and like see if I can get some subtitles for this. And thankfully, yeah, Plex I'd... has that feature where you can just like look up and download them. Very I thought it was a very really bold it. choice of them to just make it in German for half the movie. And not have yeah. subtitles in the yeah, English exactly. movie. That doesn't have subtitles by default. What the fuck is that? They're relying on the uh, <laughs> on the actors' performances to really sell it. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I got what was going on generally, even without. I don't. Yeah. I, I think or, if you hadn't eventually put on subtitles, you would not have gotten that she, her father at the very least, was like a pro Holocaust guy. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Would have and her by that. extension. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to the next movie. This one is a complete departure from what Sophie's choice was, <laughs> and we're going into our our horror movie picks. Uh, that being, it was my pick of this week, The Birds. Um, this movie is pretty simple to understand. We've got our protagonist who is a bird seller in the big city. There's a guy that comes in to buy a bird, I think. I'm, and then he, I don't, really, I don't really, I can't really remember the intro of this movie that well. But basically, she is like fucking taking this songbird down to where he is vacationing in some like random small town um, to give it to him as like a kind of like a surprise because she's like, oh, he's so hunky. Uh, so she does. She like boats over to his like little area to secretly give him the bird. Um, and then starts kind of just like staying in the town and then suddenly birds start attacking people at random like she gets attacked on the way back by a seagull um, and then later a bunch of like school kids are, are attacked um, when they're like leaving school I'm pretty sure there's something else happening in between that and then it turns into like a much bigger problem like everybody is like in the town just getting fucking swarmed by birds people are dying um, left and right it's pretty brutal uh, they have like board, they have, near the end of the movie, they have to like board themselves up in their house um, to stop the birds from coming in and fucking murdering them. <laughs> uh, and then the movie ends with them just driving off into the sunset, leaving <laughs> leaving the town. What's up, Dylan? I got a question for you boys. Now, Tanner, yeah. me and Tanner have the same idea when it comes to this kind of question. Where if something is smaller than me, I am either punching it or kicking it because I am the alpha here. How many birds do you think you guys could fend off? Do you think these birds could kill you? Yeah, I think they could. 
There's so many of them. They're really fast, and I don't think they're going to be pulling any punches. Like, I think they, if they wanted to, they just fucking poke my eyes out. I don't think there's a whole lot I can do to defend myself with swarming. Yeah. All right. So how many think you could take down before they take you down? Um, honestly, I, don't, I think I'd be so focused on defending myself that it, actually, like, putting up a fight against this swarm is kind of pointless. I Honestly, honestly, I don't know if, if there's any specific number because I would just entirely be focused on defending myself. Okay, okay. I'll say I could take down about 15 birds before I sus- succumb to my injuries. Now, okay. you guys are... I'm sure Nico is formulating this in his mind where he's like, well, what about the fucking third graders that you're fighting an infinite number of? You only think you could take <laughs> out 15 crows? I was the thinking answer that is during yes. the movie, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes, and it is because birds can deal piercing and slashing damage, which I have no resistances to. Children can only deal bludgeoning damage, which what I am resistant to. Have you considered their teeth, Tanner? Or maybe I'll their unkempt nails? Kick their teeth in. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, so what did you guys think? Th- this was something I was kind of iffy on. What did you guys think of the practical effects for this movie? I think for the time, they're pretty well done. Honestly, nowadays, they look pretty dog shit. But I think with what they were working with back then, I think they look all right. Because I, between that and, like, the green screen, the green screen actually wasn't terrible, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you have 1963 green screen. Depends on which green screen you're referring to. Uh, Let me ask you guys this. What was your favorite scene in the movie? Oh, this is an easy choice for me. Absolutely so fucking easy. It is when the chick is driving to the small town, (laughs) and every fucking microsecond she's in that damn car, her tires are squealing for dear life like she's losing traction constantly. It's the funniest fucking thing ever. Um, I could not stop thinking about it. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. Like, anytime she got in the car, we're just waiting for it to start screeching again. Um, (laughs) My favorite scene was... Uh, with the kids in the schoolhouse and they start running and start getting attacked by crows because they do that it, I was cracking up hysterically at this just because it looked very funny <laughs> when they had like the bird puppets like pecking at those children and the yeah. children are running yeah. and the thing that really got me laughing was the green screen in that scene gotcha. because it's like <laughs> it's the green screen of like the background whooshing by and they're doing this yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that looks uh, so fucking funny. I was I was dying of laughter. In, in general, I'd say that one and then like the final bird attack, especially when she's in the phone booth and the birds are like thumping against the glass and you just see this yeah. crazy shit going on in the background. Those were both very funny. Yeah. And yeah. that's the problem. This movie is not supposed to be funny, but I was <laughs> laughing very hard. I will I will say I, I will kind of agree with Tanner. I'll have a funny one and I'll have a, a more serious one that I actually liked. Um, so there was the scene close to Tanner's part where he's talking about the phone booth where it's the gasoline, like, trickles down, and they're, like, trying to warn the guy about the gasoline, and it just, like, cuts between her face and, like, back, and it, like, I think you guys know what I'm talking about, where, like, her facial yeah. expressions change every time it flashes back. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, one scene I actually thought looked really, really nice was when the guy leaves the house at the end of the movie, and you get that, like, shadowy, like, l- like light in the distance, but, like, birds everywhere. I thought that looked really good. Uh, like, that's something, like, 
like weird thing to say. Something I'd use for like a computer desktop background, like really good. Um, but yeah, I uh, <laughs> I thought this movie was a little silly. I thought the idea of killer birds was interesting. I'm not doubting their effectiveness. Uh, I will say I expected more people to die. They uh, barely fucking used any killer birds throughout this whole movie. What the fuck? It was mostly yeah, just they, like, oh man, some birds just killed some people. But like, so dude, you want to hook up or something already? What's uh, what's going on there? Yeah, like no birds are prey or anything. Like crows, crows admittedly are more like scavengers. But um, does your mom accept me yet? Is her new daughter or anything like that? Uh, our main girl is fucking weird, right? What's yeah, that? she's yeah, a little weird. Absolutely. Yeah. Our, our main girl character, like, her thing is like, oh, she's like a prankster. And so she follows this guy oh, fucking three hours away to this vacation home in order to prank him. And, and then she breaks into his house. I'm like, huh? What? Yeah. Well, it's like a, it's, I was just going to say real quick, it's a 1960s version of, uh, I'm not like other girls. Yeah, exactly. Uh. <laughs> so, Tanner, question here for you, since, uh, I know that you have a much better gaydar than the rest of us, okay? <laughs> Oh. Now, my man, was the fucking black hair lady who was living out there, was she a lesbian? Mmm. I'm gonna say yes. Right? <laughs> my man. Anyway, here's my biggest complaint about this movie. Not enough birds. Um, yeah, not enough birds. No, um, if the birds are, are just gonna attack out of nowhere, like it just kind of starts suddenly with the birthday party scene, why yeah. is there an hour of setup before that yeah i think they have to introduce because i uh, for that That doesn't take an hour though dylan (laughs) i know i'm trying to defend this movie i don't even know why i didn't even give this movie a very high rating you're a Uh, big (laughs) alfred hitchcock fan yeah of course he's a real film buff i don't know he's a real critic but uh you don't know what film buff means no i don't know who alfred whatever his name was um, okay, he's the director of this movie and a very important gotcha. director. A very well-respected but... director at that. Gotcha. Um, two things with this movie. One that's not so important, one that affects my rating of this movie very highly, actually, surprisingly. Uh, the effect that the birds were supposed to be the scary part of the movie, but I think more so of the chaos and everything that ensued from the birds attacking were probably a bigger impact than the actual birds attacking. I think the shock factor of the birds attacking was probably a thing. Um, um we ready to rank? <laughs> I want to say real quick here, boys. Okay. Yeah. But that main love interest guy, he was built like a brick shit house, now wasn't he? Yeah. I guess. I was gay. Oh boy. Anyways, I think this movie <laughs> actually is pretty similar to Sophie's Choice in that it has. Two, there are two sides to this movie. There's the fucking character drama, bullshit, nobody cares about. Um, and then there are the birds, which I'm assuming are supposed to be like an allegory for something. Like, obviously there's a lot of symbolism with this movie with like the lovebirds and, you know, like the birds intermittently attacking the town as well as like, I, I think there's a reason for having like the two, to the A and B plot of like the love story between these two and then the birds attacking them. I'm sure there's some connection there. I don't think that connection is that important to warrant wasting so much of our fucking time on this stupid character drama that we don't give a shit about. I'm sure in yeah. the 60s people were more into this type of stuff, but this does not hold up today at all. It's so slow. The bird attacking is absolutely like the main focus of this film from like a modern day film watcher and it's very frequent and it, it seems like it's like the, the less, you know, focused part of the film, which I think is majorly to its detriment, at least for me. Yeah, yeah especially um, considering the character shit just doesn't particularly compelling either. 
it doesn't matter yeah. at all in the end too because like we don't get any resolution or anything they just fucking drive off without anything actually really happening yeah yeah i was gonna say last two things for me were i think the con the idea for this movie if somebody were to go at it again could be expounded on and could be improved i think the idea of the movie was intriguing however I will agree with Jackson. I absolutely hated the ending because there was zero resolve and we had no clue what was going on besides the fact that they were leaving and taking her to a hospital. And I I literally was like, the screen faded to black and I expected something else to happen. I even fast forwarded like I normally do. And just nothing happens. I was extremely disappointed with the ending. Yeah, Nick and I were both like, what the fuck's going on when it got to the ending? Like, why the hell did it end like that? Yeah, so... Yeah, it, it this honestly it impacted the rating of this movie for me quite a bit. I guess with that said, Dylan, what exactly are you writing this movie? I believe I gave this movie like a D minus. Is that what I gave it? Yeah, oh, I gave this movie a D minus. Like, like I said, mm. I thought it was an interesting idea. It was still watchable, but like there were so many things that the ending didn't resolve and nothing. It it, it, didn't, it didn't do a lot of things super well, but it was still watchable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really wasn't a particularly big fan of this film either. I gotta say, uh, Mr. Hitchcock, I, I think I'm just not being a film buff quite yet to really uh, understand your work. And with that in mind, I think I'm gonna give this film, like, let's see, a, uh, yeah, probably like a, uh, D plus, I'm thinking. D plus. Guys, I'll meet you in the middle. I gave this movie a flat D. There mm. we go. Okay, um... Those two scenes I mentioned did make me laugh hard enough that I think I can justify giving it a C. Okay. Mm. <laughs> All right. Can't just uh, try and put on airs right now. <laughs> he thinks he's smarter than us. I'm trying to put on airs by saying it's a mid-movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're at least not going as far as we are, man. True. Saying it's, like, it's on the bad end of film. Yeah. But I guess te- technically they are ranking... System, I guess it is. Uh, assuming you're not qualifying as like, a separate entity. Anyways, it doesn't do. matter. Uh, um, that puts it at a D plus. Yep. Whoa. <laughs> Shocking. Uh oh. I I think that's a pretty fair rating for this movie. Yeah. We're giving honestly. ourselves a little bit of leeway with it being, I'm assuming, a very highly rated. Listen, movie. guys, it's just as simple as it's old, so it's bad. Old exactly. equals bad, boys. Old equals bad. Old I really feel like bad. we're fucking ourselves over the throughout this month. Uh, between that and fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we have lost all credibility at this point. <laughs> I guess so, man. I guess so. Anyways, Dylan, would you like to end us off with your pick for this week? Sure thing. Uh, yeah, so we also watched I Am Legend, a movie set in a post-apocalyptic dystopian world. Where, in the beginning, we discovered the cure for cancer. Uh, this Whoa. cure was administered to a couple of 10,000 10, people. Um, and flash forward, you know, three years, we see New York City completely covered in, you know, jungle and vegetation and everything. And we're left wondering what happened. And it's not until about, you know, 30, 30-ish minutes into the movie we're introduced to these humanoid creatures that definitely act like animals are very savage Almost gave, like, a when I first watched this movie, like, a vampire zombie-esque feeling to them. So it just turns out that this, like, cure for cancer turned everybody into, like, mindless superhumans that reverted back to their primal state. So it's really about this uh, main main guy, uh, Will Smith. I don't remember his name in the movie. Um, Neville, Robert Neville, that's what it was. Uh, he is like a the scientist the the military scientist on the scene. This is his ground zero. He he feels like he could fix this mistake. He's trying to capture 
subhumans and trying to cure them and like doing that whole process you know he's he's not making any progress he has all these rats uh, eventually he ends up setting a trap to capture one they uh this one alpha guy sees it and he's like oh i don't like that very much so he sets up a trap for robert uh he ends up getting himself captured uh the the, the alpha guy releases some dogs the dogs get his dog. It's a very sad scene. This dude literally needed to strangle his dog to death. I, this scene made me cry every time except for this time for some reason. Um, and he continues on. He goes to try to kill himself by fighting all these things, run him over in his car, and he was losing. To like, for whatever random reason, a bright blinding light comes out of nowhere. And this lady comes and saves him and drives him back to his house with her kid. Uh, and so, you know, they live out their day and they have their quarrels. By the time night falls, uh, he's like, did you did you cover up our scent? Can they find us? And sure enough, they all find his house. He, he turns on some bright lights that literally do nothing. Uh, he sets off some explosives that take care of the initial first wave. They get in the house, um, and they start just messing him up. There's clearly a physical uh, whatever over. Uh, movie ends with uh, them being in the basement, and all this alpha guy wants is his, his gal back, the, the gal that this guy captured. Uh, so he gives them back, and he, like, lets this, them have some safe passage, and then they all leave, and they drive off at the end of the movie, and that's how the movie ends. Uh, quick question. How, do you guys know or are aware of what the other ending for this movie is? Yes. Yeah. He blows up himself in the house. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. They, the, they get the, the, the lady and the, the kid get the cure to the camp. Okay. To be honest, I kind of prefer the other ending. <laughs> I agree, really? actually. I do. I this ending isn't bad. I just prefer that. I know I've been a stickler for. I don't like people dying. I honestly prefer the other ending. I think it's much more. Uh, I think it wraps it up. This this ending definitely yeah, sets much this more movie conclusive. up for. It, it it did the thing you were talking about with Maze Runner. This movie, this ending sets this movie up for a sequel. Unfortunately, and I think there. Mm. If I'm if I saw correctly, I think there actually is a sequel in the works. Unfortunately, there is. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's pretty. Reasonable. How long has it been in the works for? I don't know. Uncertain. I know there was a sequel mentioned a couple years back, and I just saw some surfaces of I Am Legend 2, and Will Smith is, in fact, still in the movie. Yeah, so, that crazy. means... Um, I got a question. Yeah, yeah what's, up? what's up? Is there any reason why the creatures can't talk? They dumb. I mean, they, they do have their own communication system. Like, we saw them doing, like, the fucking breathing thing at the end, and I'm pretty sure that's how they are yeah. communicating. Yeah, they, but they're they, just they might like, be able to, like speak human. They just don't know our language. But they're just humans that are like pumped full of like anger, basically. So presumably they were like even worse like before this or something like that. And like their new communication is just like a newer sort of thing that they've started developing at this point. Yeah, there was a there was a point in the movie where he concludes because he it's just after he ran into like what he called the the hive or whatever he called. He's like, yes, yeah, normal human social whatever is completely gone so th there's just some brain function that's not allowing them to function like normal humans at this point is the thing yeah gotcha. basically, basically just like reset them to square one yeah yeah okay, they're like okay. feral savages basically at this point yeah i'm gonna go out on a limit say i like this ending more than the original one just because it digs a little bit deeper into i don't know i'm not gonna go ahead and say the ethics but kind of the ethics of the whole situation 
and specifically just it like fleshes out the you know the vampires being like more sentient than he initially thought because you know it just it makes it like a more interesting moral quandary the original ending is kind of just like you know everything goes out with a bang and that's just kind of how it is he's sacrificing himself to save people whereas the new ending is it explores you know their actual interpersonal relationships between these people it makes them you know, a little bit more humanized. It even, like, maybe ponders the question of whether or not it's right to even say you're wanting to cure them. Because they've, like, developed, like, lives, you know, throughout this. They have attachment to each other. Obviously, you know, they had lives before this. But, like, they are this now. He's killed tons of them and trying to find this cure. But do they need a cure? It's kind of the thing. And, you know, it, right. it just makes it a more interesting ending for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, like, the fucking, oh, yeah, let's go drive down to Happy Town to the, the camp, whatever. I kind of wish they just ended it there, to be honest, and didn't have that. But... I, I like the idea of them fleshing out the, you know, the vampires more. I'm not a huge fan of them, like, really fucking laying it on thick throughout it, because actually in the director's cut, which is what we watched, um, like, there's, like, the, the scene where they use the bungee cord, you know, to fucking tie him up in the trap, and then later on he's like, oh, yeah, they used my tech, that's what I did, they're copying me. Yeah. Um, that was something that was added later on in the director's cut. I don't think that shit's needed. I think they're kind of hitting it over your head that, oh yeah, they're a television. I think the audience can kind of get that, but, uh, you know, just from watching it. But yeah, yeah definitely, I'm definitely a second ending director's cut enjoyer here. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I there. dislike it, but. We have our preferences. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't think the CGI was particularly bad in this. Uh,. There are some areas, like, I think when he's driving through the city, but at that point, if you're going to have a completely reinvented New York City, I don't know how you'd be able to get away with not CGI. Speaking of driving through the city, what the fuck was the deal with that first scene, with him driving that car and then it just never returns after that? Nico, have you considered that that 2005 GT500 <laughs> Shelby GT500 was fucking sick and it sounded awesome? You got all the sick <laughs> reverb through the buildings. It was fucking crazy cool. It was also completely pointless in a very I inefficient mean, way of hunting. It was in, very obvious my, that that was just there to, to fucking to try and sell the car. In my it felt defense, like a fucking ad throughout that whole thing. In my defense of this movie, later on we do see him just kind of exploiting the city for his own benefit. He's clearly just going around and getting food, movies, you know, just taking... Because, like, there's nobody around. He's convinced everybody's dead. He has this mindset that he's the last human alive on this planet. So him taking this car and driving it is just like, I want to drive this car. There's nobody around. Nobody's going to stop me. I just need a car to drive. So that's that's my take on that particular Why portion. Why try hunting in it, though? Like, he's, like, all he's doing is just scaring them away. And, like, by the time, like, he can't accurately shoot from the car. And by the time he gets out of the car to, like, you know, actually try to, like, take a shot at some of these deer, they're long gone at that point. What the fuck is he trying to hunt there? Why not just, like, have it be some cool scene where he's just, like, driving around in the city wasting some fucking time? Uh, he is a little mentally insane, unfortunately, as well. I also chalk that it up is, to that. That is a fair excuse. He is fucking crazy. I will say, in addition to that, uh, it's weird because his dog was and was not the tether to his sanity. Because his dog was keeping him sane in a way because he had somebody there. He had companionship. But when the dog died, I think the tether to his quote-unquote reality was severed. Because then he acknowledges that the mannequins aren't actually real people. And I think that also helps with the whole mannequin being moved and him getting captured thing. But, like, you guys see what I'm saying? Whereas, like, Dog was, like, was and was not 
a tether to reality for him. Does that make sense? I think I think it, it was definitely like the last breaking point yeah. he had because it was the only thing he had left. It was the only thing that was like actually making him want to like live in this world. So once the dog yeah. died, he didn't really have any reason to like care for anything at that point anymore. Did it make you cry? No. It was That's very fair. sad though. I think the I, I acting don't... was pretty well done too. I think he had a Overall, I, I don't really normally think of Will Smith as a good actor, mostly because I don't watch a lot of Will what? Smith movies. But he seems, I feel like Will Smith seems like the type of character that would be a good actor. But he seems yeah, like he's he an amazing actor. In Jackson's defense, uh, while we were watching this movie, he asked me if this was Will Smith's breakout role. No. <laughs> I think we've had this discussion because I think Tanner got up on me about not, uh, not watching Pursuit of Happiness. Maybe. Or maybe that have was somebody else. Have you still not seen that one? No, I have not. It it's on list? his list, though. Don't worry. <laughs> Let me gotcha. see if it's on my list. You guys keep going. Perfect. So on that note about Will Smith, though. Yeah, I absolutely think that he's like the best part of this film. He delivers an amazing performance throughout this because like, yeah. he's fucking carrying this movie on his back throughout pretty much the whole thing. He's like the only mm-hmm. actor there who, throughout the entire film. And so it really relies on him just like really fucking conveying this sense of absolute fucking loneliness and like, you know, the twinges of like, oh, starting to slip off into insanity and shit. And he delivers it masterfully, I felt. I felt like it was just like super fucking good, guys. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the dog I, was a pretty good actor. Though- the dog was a good actor. I think uh, I think the worst part of this film, at least for me, is that I I feel like I lost all of my engagement after the dog died. And once they introduced like the woman and her kid, I stopped giving all shits after that point, basically up until the ending. I don't I don't know I mean, specifically so why I was. I wasn't I didn't yeah, I didn't really give a shit about the, the woman or kid at all. I think their interactions were pretty kinda cringy. Uh <laughs> I think her motivation for, like, saving him is kind of stupid, too. Like, obviously, yeah, no, they're, like, the last person alive. She hasn't really seen anybody after getting off the boat. But uh, it seems like a really dumb situation to, like, want to risk your life for this, like, random dude. Like, especially in his situ- like her situation, she's seeing a guy surrounded by a fucking mob of the vampires. He's literally in a car that's flipped under or, like, flipped over. And there's a fucking vampire trying to get inside of the car or is already inside of it with her. Why the hell would she even think she has a fucking chance of saving in there or, like... Like, especially, it's not just, like, risking her life, but she's also risking the life of this child. I really feel like it just doesn't outweigh it. Like, it seems like he's kind of, like, a lost cause. So, on that note, she seems to understand, uh, like, immediately, like, who he is. Like, he's a doctor or whatever the fuck who's, like, trying to fucking, you know, uh, do some bullshit to, like, save everyone. Oh! Mm. So. (laughs) What the hell was that? uh, I dropped something. So, uh, because of that... I think that she was just like, okay, I have to, like, save this guy. He he might be able to, like, you know, get, figure out what's going on here and, like, cure humanity of this bullshit or whatever, you know? Yeah, and also, mm-hmm. like, clearly it's uh, very rare to encounter people in this world, so mm-hmm. I can understand if she's like, oh, fuck, well, that's another person. Uh, we don't really have almost any of those, so I should probably I mean, do something. Whole, her whole shtick is that she's just trying to get to this camp that she's heard about where there's supposed to be, like, a ton of people, uh, hypothetically. I don't know why she would put all her eggs in the basket of, like, risking her life and this child to save one dude who doesn't even know if it's the doctor. It could be somebody completely different. Um, she's, like, right. risking her life and this child when she knows there's, you know, or she thinks that, that there's, like, this camp of people. It seems mis- It seems way too risky for her. This, is, this isn't that big of a complaint, though. I don't really care that much. Right, mm. yeah. All right, well, anybody else have any other thoughts? I really like the scene when you went into the dark place to get his dog out. Um, 
him trying to like hide himself. I think that scene was very well done, especially like the the running afterwards. Uh, oh, that yeah. was very engaging. I think I think this movie's first half uh, is really solid and well done overall. Big fan. Yeah, absolutely. Did it give anybody Last of Us vibes as far as the environment and everything goes? A little bit. Because it's a dilapidated city? This movie did make me add... So this is the third movie that's adapted the I Am Legend novel, and this actually did make me add the other two movies um, to my list as well. How old is that novel? It's like from the 1950s. Yeah, it's old as fuck. Jeez. It's also very, very different. What sucks, too, is I watched a few reviews of this movie just because I was curious what other people thought about it, per usual. And... What's unfortunate about it is that basically every single review is predicated on comparing it to the novel, yeah. which is stupid. Mm. Because Wait, yeah, I was going to say, I don't like, think that's fair at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. The whole point is that they're separate things. Like, it, it, I mean, I kind of see the comparison because it really steals the name of the novel, mm. but these are obviously very two, two very different identities. Like, they don't even take place in the same fucking setting. So I don't I don't see why they feel the need to compare them so much, which sucks because I, like, want to see some reviews. But all the reviews are just entirely focused around comparing it to the pros and cons of the novel. Yeah, that was but a I, similar I thing that I ran into. Everyone's just like, it, it's just not like the book, you know? The book is so good, guys. Like, the ending for the book, have you guys heard of the ending for this book? It's crazy. It's like a really iconic ending. It just doesn't do that, though, and I don't like that. And then everybody in the comments is like, yeah, the book's so fucking boring, except for the <laughs> ending. The ending's awesome, and it blows your mind, but everything else sucks. Uh, anyways, <laughs> this might be a this might be a controversial take. I really like the start of the movie, uh, but I was not a huge fan of the second half of it. It, like, immediately lost all of my interest in it. I gave this movie a B-. Mm, okay. Um, here's my thing. It's Will Smith giving an excellent performance... In, in a really just unremarkable story, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think I found this one pretty boring, not gonna lie. Um, and for the CGI, eh, it's kind of bad. Um, it's pretty rough. I will say, the only the only thing that's bad that I think can actually be held against this movie taking into the time it was made is how they do with the monsters, how wide their fucking mouths can open. That's (laughs) going to look weird and unnatural no matter how good the CGI is, so they shouldn't have done that. Um, I think they should have cut out all the scenes of the fucking lions walking around because it looked so goddamn fake. It was so bad. Yeah, that was pretty silly, too. (laughs) I'm giving this one a C. Uh, All right. Dude, you gave the same rank for all three movies this week. You, you said the movies this week were mid, and you gave them all Cs. I, I honestly was uh, yeah. expecting this, to be completely fair. Uh, Nico? Uh, no, Dylan, you go first. I want to hear what you're thinking for this one. I mean, you you heard all my thoughts on this movie. I, I, I think this is a B. I think it was really good. I thought it was engaging, like Jackson said. The CGI is a little rough. Uh, Will Smith definitely did a lot for this movie. It slowed down like a ton though. It it changed pace and it changed tones very quickly halfway through the movie. But I don't think it's a bad movie, and I still think it's kind of what I remember from when I was younger. So yeah, I'm gonna give it a solid B. Yeah, I gotta say I'm a little shocked by just how negative you guys are about this one. I thought it was pretty decent overall. I'm gonna give it a B plus. I, I mean, plus. I don't think how negative we are reflecting on the fact that you gave it a half step above me is that bad. <laughs> that was more so for Tanner and Jackson. Ah, gotcha. I, I, I think you're underestimating how much I dislike the second half of this film. Yeah. Mostly, mostly just because I really like the first half, and then the second half kind of taints that, because I was like, they th- they threw away a lot of the things that I thought were really cool about the first half. That's just fair. For this stupid fucking character drama I don't give a shit about. 
Uh, anyways, that marks it at a B minus. So I was right. It is in fact the the, the best movie we watched this week at B minus. And I don't think that would be it. much of a shocker though. No, I was. I mean, there may. I was really banking on maybe Tanner really liking Sophie's Choice for some reason. <laughs> And giving it, like, some crazy high rating for whatever reason. He really yeah. liked the Holocaust shit. Are you guys excited? What movie do you guys want to have me pick for this week? Uh, let uh, me take a gander here real quick. I honestly I don't know, I would say... Man. I mean, I really want it to be, like, a horror movie, you know? So probably, right. like... Pee My Cat, a film for Anne. <laughs> yeah. I want Perfect Blue. I think Perfect Blue would fit pretty well with this. Obviously, it's a movie that I enjoyed a lot, too. I mm. think I think Perfect Blue. I can definitely see that. I feel like Train to Busan, though. Or, actually, I know what you did last summer. I feel like that would be a perfect one for it. Yeah. What are we... What? Sorry, what are we we're, talking we're, about? We're looking at Rolling the current the Patreon. Patreon requests and seeing which one we want to have be picked. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm saying Perfect Blue. Nico said Train to Busan. It sounds like Dylan is agreeing with him. Uh, it doesn't really matter, though. I'm just going to roll that bitch. Oh, uh, damn. And, Let's see and, what Tanner, happens. You can, you can blunder. We <laughs> bought a zoo! <laughs> That is not nice. a horror movie, but you know what? Them's the break. I'm pretty sure this movie is set around Halloween. There you it's go. It's not, I don't think. I'm pretty sure it's Christmas. Yeah, it's in the month of November. <laughs> the month the month after Halloween, but close enough. Yeah. Anyways, uh, thanks Steve Harvey's ghost, whatever your real name is. Thank you, Hunter Nikolai, yeah. for Hunter Nikolai Zoo. Thank you. So, Tanner, for your film this week, what are you feeling like going with? Uh, I am going to be selecting... A very famous horror movie that I've never seen. Mm. I don't know how many of you guys have seen it, but I am picking An American Werewolf in London. <laughs> I see. Weird. That's a fun choice. Huh. Per- As for me, I'm going to be going with 2015's The Witch. Wait, I don't think I've heard of that either. Yeah, it sounds like we have a pretty solid uh, selection of movies this week, boys. I know that one's very scary. So. That'll probably be the scariest one we'll have seen thus far. Yeah. Sounds like it. If it takes place in a dark, dilapidated wood, that's, like, literally something I don't like. So, it will, we'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, how many of you guys have seen an American Werewolf in London? I have literally never seen it. Never even heard of it before. Fantastic. Yeah. We're all going into it brand new. Hell yeah. Virgins, one might say. Speaking of virgins, Jackson, would you like to tell people about the Patreon? Goddamn. Oh, man. I'd love to tell people about the Patreon. We've got uh, some amazing rewards you get for being a Patreon member. Of course, our Patreon membership is only a single dollar a month for a limited time until we get a certain amount of patrons. Uh, So get in while you can on the ground floor here. Uh, of course, you get some amazing things like our pre-guap, our post-show, every episode. You get early access to the episodes themselves whenever they are edited, they are uploaded, and you can see them. Uh, you get access to our Discord, in which you get access to you know, our bots, including the Slimes bot, which you get 500 free slime coins for. You get to request uh, movies through our bot once a month, and you also get to request topics and even chat with us if you want to. Um, and we've got some amazing patrons that somebody is going to read out and or give me a list so I can read out. Yeah, patrons, you say, Jackson. I love our patrons, especially all of the people I'm about to say right now. Raheem Rojwani, Kyler Nikolai, I Am a Cat, Morale, Meow, 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 Tupperman Man, Joshua Bean, Macho Man, Retard Savage, Tupbot, Lucas Lidette, Hunter, and Jacob Edwards. Speaking of which, each and every one of you need to submit a Q&A question right now, you pieces of shit, right now. And as always, thank you very much for watching. Bye-bye. Bye.